Welcome to The Human Perspective with internationally recognized badass disability activist Judy Human. Today, Judy is in conversation with Lachi, who is a blind musician and recording artist and a fierce activist for accessibility within the music industry. She is coloboma and keratoconus, and is actually the first person I have ever met who also has keratoconus. So today, I will also be on the show. The intro music for The Human Perspective is actually a song written and produced by Lachi. The Human Perspective is produced by me, Becca Howell, and Judy Human. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to The Human Perspective. So let's roll up, lay down, dance around, get some snacks ready, whatever makes you feel best, and let's meet our guest today. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Human Perspective. Today, our show is going to be a little bit different and the same. The same because we're meeting another dynamic disabled person, Lachi, who I'm so excited that we will be talking with today. I consider her to be a leader, a dynamic woman, a woman who is a a leader, not just in the music world, but in who she is as a human being and what she is sharing with us in the world. So, and we're also having on set today, uh, Becca Howell, who is, we're playing around with titles. (laughs) She's the project coordinator social media wizard and sometime barista and uh, on my far left is stevie and stevie is my executive administrative assistant and the three of us are the uh team (laughs) so welcome lachi hi welcome judy and the dream team i am so honored to be here this is i've been waiting for this day forever and I'm so excited that it finally came and also how do I sit here and get compliments from the Judy herself so I'm very excited to be here and really excited for this conversation for real. So Lachi who is Lachi? I'd like to start a little bit earlier so you are the daughter of your family who are immigrants and you're one of seven. Yes. And how did that impact you as you were growing up? You know, being the sixth of seven children in an immigrant family uh, is the same old, same old story for immigrant families, especially from West Africa. Uh, But living here in America, we were always considered such a huge family. And it was interesting because both of my parents, they moved around a lot because of different work situations. So I lived in Philly and I lived in New York and I lived in North Carolina and we just moved all over the place. And being um, from an immigrant family, we were a little sheltered. So I didn't know anything that was going on outside of our room. In fact, my mother would literally chase kids away that would come and knock on our door to play with us. She would literally chase them to their homes and then yell at their parents for making them come to our house to play with us. Don't you see my children are studying? Why aren't your children studying? Um, Is how she would um, interact with the other parents on the block. So so we had um, a very strict household, but we had a lot of fun because we were a big family. I love as we've been doing prep. I mean, I need to say that for me, working with Becca and Stevie is exciting for many reasons. One of them is because they're much younger than I am. 
When did you start following Lachi? It was when I first started this job and I was doing research on new people to interview. And then I came across Lachi and then I was like, oh my God, we need to meet because we have the same, um, we both have keratoconus, which is a um, pretty rare visual impairment. And so I, I was like, oh my God, we have to meet, we have to meet. And so when we did meet, we were immediately like connected and we were both like the first people that we ever met to- That also has what we have. Yeah, so <laughs> that's, that's when I first knew about Lachi, but Stevie knew about Lachi years and years ago. Yeah, Lachi, you uh, got me through my undergrad. I would pop you in my ears <laughs> and it would either be you or remixes of your stuff. And oh, wow. Yeah, so thank you. <laughs> well, I always love popping in people's ears. So. <laughs> thank you guys so much. That actually means like a whole lot. It really does because we're all uh, just people, right? And so I love that I'm able to affect and sort of touch and communicate with you in other ways other than just speaking. Like it's my whole dream and goal in my life is to be able to connect with other people through my music. So that really does mean a lot. So when did you decide that music was something that you were in love with? I always knew music was for me when I was very young and my family took to it as well. My dad wanted me to be all other sorts of things like a he, he did finance, so he wanted me to do finance. Uh, and then he also wanted me to be a doctor because he was an African parent. Uh, I tried to be a doctor, but these nails, you know, like I couldn't do the, you know, cutting up the animals and dealing with blood and getting into bloods and guts. So to cut that out. long artificial nails. <laughs> that wasn't just going to work for my career. So I said, what career can I have that will allow me to have long nails? No, uh, I had always loved music and my mother put me in choir and I sang in high school uh, at talent shows and things like that. But it wasn't really until college that I realized it. I would play the piano every weekend at my dorm. And it eventually got to a point where people would come and request songs for me to play and sing. So I would start singing songs and then those, they were Saturday nights and they started to call them piano nights. People would come with their boyfriends and their girlfriends after dates or drunken frat boys would come after parties and they would hang out and just lounge around as I sang songs and they yell out Freebird and I'd sing Freebird. And then people started going, what are you doing here in this small town in North Carolina? You need to go to the big city. You need to be a real musician. Um, you're wasting your talents on drunk frat boys. And so I decided, you know what? Okay. I asked my counselor, I said, I really want to do this music thing and I want to move to New York, but uh, what classes should I take and what should I do? And he said, move to New York. So he was a really cool counselor because normally they would say, you should probably take math 101 or whatnot. But he said, move to New York and I did. And that was the beginning of my journey on just really doing it in music. When did you realize that you didn't see like other people? I always knew that I couldn't see like other people uh, when I was at a very uh, early age. I had special counselors and things of that nature. I had special devices that I used, things like monoculars or CCTVs where you put your textbook under the TV and you have to read it, or I'd have blown up print and things like that. And I'd have a weekly counselor that I would meet. So I also had a separate note taker too when I was growing up, little things like that. Uh, made me recognize that I could not see. But it's interesting because I had low vision and I wasn't totally blind. I didn't, I don't know. I didn't know 
that I couldn't see. I just knew I was different. I don't know how to explain that. Maybe Becca gets what I'm talking about. It's like, I can see. So what's everybody talking about? But at the same time, I can't see like everybody else. So I was different, but not different enough for people to go, oh, she's blind. So I did have to kind of skirt that weird. Um, and so it was, it was quite an interesting thing. And it was funny because my teachers in school would always try to give me the sort of rain man uh, they would attribute the sort of Rain Man thing to me. They'd be like, she's a genius. She's spectacular. And I'm like, well, thanks. Uh, I guess I'll ride the wave. But honestly, I'm going to let you down when you figure out that I'm just a regular person. I mean, they may have seen in you at that point who you are today. So perhaps it, it perhaps. could have been I doubt it, but bad inspiration porn. It could have <laughs> yeah. also been. I mean, the reason I'm saying that is you relate this story and one of the things that I was reading about you, where you were seven years old and you were in a regular classroom where teacher was going around the room and asking kids what they wanted to be. You yeah. want, do you remember that story? You yes. want to share that? Well, it's just, it's interesting because, you know, there'd be, let's say a black guy and he'd say, I want to be like Michael Jordan. Or there'd be a white guy and he says, I want to be an astronaut like Neil Armstrong or, or a white girl says, I want to be Nancy Kerrigan. Uh, and then I didn't really have anyone to point to. So it's not like I could point to Stevie Wonder. <laughs> like, yes, he's a black blind person, but he just wasn't female, which didn't fit. Uh, I, I adore and admired Oprah growing up but she wasn't blind like me, even though she was a strong black female. So I just didn't have anyone to look up to, to sort of say, hey, I wanna be that when I grow up. And that really actually sparked a fire under my own butt when I really started getting in front of my own disability and started getting into the public eye to be that person for that eight-year-old Lachi that didn't have it. So I'm 73 and when I heard that story, I thought, wow, she's in a regular class, which I never was till high school. And B, they're having a discussion about what do you want to be when you grow up? And no one ever asked me about that. Oh, wow. And, and in the story that you tell, you also say that you knew you wanted to be a singer and a musician and a manager. But when it came to you to ask you what you wanted to do, you said, I don't know. And I think your explanation is kind of why you didn't see other people like yourself. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I felt that if I had answered the question, everyone would look at me like, that's never going to be you. Right. So why even aspire for that? So I just kind of kept my mouth shut. And I feel a lot of people uh, have to do that. But it's interesting that you say um, that you were never asked that question. And frankly, possibly because you were never put into a, I guess, regular sort of public school. And I think back to my history and I wonder how my life would have been different and if, if I was given more attention than being thrown into public school. Because I mean, I did have quite the rocky road being thrown into a public school, uh, but at the same time, there were just a lot of lessons that also came with it as well. Becca, you were identified as having a keratoconus when you were how old, 11? I was 11, the very non-awkward age of 11 in seventh or eighth grade and you know it was it was very strange watching I kind of like shared a similar uh story during some of our preps of like you know going to eye doctors and then you know being identified with having you know whatever um 
condition you have and then just like so many doctors coming in and being like oh my god what is this like this is this is really rare and it's and kind of to go off of you saying when did you realize when that you saw differently than other people like probably not until after I got accommodations to be honest um and I initially I really really detested all of the accommodations I really did not like it because it made me feel really different than everyone like all the large print I was like oh my god like going to like you I had to go to like the back of the room and use a special table because the tests or the books were too big for the regular desks and then the kids come up to you and ask you why are you back there and you're like just don't worry about it man like I'm just just reading like just just leave me alone and then kind of just like you just kind of move through the motions of like growing up and just being more of a self-advocate for yourself in school and 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 explaining more about like my own disability with other people so that they understand instead of pushing them away and being like this is none of your business be quiet I'm just like everyone else like instead just be like yeah I've carried a cone this this is what's up and I use large print and then you're like oh okay (laughs) well turning awkward moments into teaching moments right Right. exactly which I think is something Lachi you have not only done since you entered the profession in college but you continue to do that in a more forthright way. Yes. So if we could talk a little bit about Lachi, the, ma- the I was going to say the magician. magician. I was about to say the magician, but you know what? In some real way, you really are a magician. Way to pivot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you. Um, there are many different parts of you. And to me, it feels very much like you value them equally and you weave them together. And when I think about, you know, your blindness and how you've been public about it for a long time, maybe you could talk a little bit about um, when did you decide, did you ever decide that um, bringing your blindness into who you were and your music was something that you wanted to be more public about and why? So disclosure is such an interesting topic for me because I am, um, I, I did have an interesting instance when I first, when I first walked into the music industry, I had gotten signed by a label under EMI and I was super young and I was very excited and they loved my voice and what I did. And when they found out that I was blind and that a few of my friends in my band were also legally blind or visually impaired. Uh, they wanted to make it a shtick for the for the group. And they were using it and leading with it in a way that I didn't feel comfortable with. And I ended up not re-signing our one-year lease, our one-year um, record deal, even though it was an amazing opportunity because I didn't really like the way I was being portrayed. And then after that happened, I, I shut up about it. I was so fierce about music first, music first. I want everyone to just love the music and I want everyone to, to know my message. And, and that was great. Uh, it, was, it was a bit of a struggle to you know, get back up to where I, I needed to be, but I got there and when I did and, and really took into my own comfort and into my own skin and really started appreciating myself as a person and as a woman, uh, I sat down with my manager at the time, and this was about 2017-ish, and 
he had said to me, he was, he said, cause he knew of my eye condition and it's Gary Salzman, rest in peace, a very big heavy hitter in the dance music space. He had said, you know, Lachi, um, when I watch you work and, and I watch all the things you do and when you're in the studio and you're walking into these rooms and you're making these big moves, you know, you are just a powerhouse and you're just doing all of this stuff. And no one knows that you're doing this legally blind or visually impaired. And I've been telling my producer friends about it and they're like, are you serious? Wow. And I'm so inspired by you. And I'm just an old Jewish man and I'm inspired by you. Imagine who you can inspire. And he was like, I, and I'm comfortable in my life and you inspire me. And so after that discussion we had, it really did hit home for me. And I began to, to say, you know what? I'm gonna do this on my own terms. I'm gonna speak about my disability from a place of strength, not a place of pity, from a place of you want to be me, not you want to help me. And when I started to do that, I got so much love and I stopped just being a black girl running around singing songs like tons of other R&B singers and pop singers are out there. I began to have a real message and have a real personality and character. And I really began to live with actual purpose. You know, I, when I was growing up, I was always like, I need to be a singer. I wanna be a songwriter. Um, that's my purpose. And you don't know your purpose until you're actually fulfilling it and achieving it. And that light shines on you. And that light has been shining on me ever since I've come out about my disability, freely disclosed and stood in front of trying to get other people to do the same thing, especially in media and entertainment. So many questions. How would you define your message? Well, right now my message is be bold. Don't be an inspiration, be a badass. Stand in front of your um, difference, take your uh, adversity and turn it into your power. Um, one of the things that I talk to a lot of people about is branding, branding yourself based on your adversity. So many people come to me and they go, I wanna have, uh, I want my brand to stick out, but I don't have anything interesting about me. I'm just a person. And I say, look at what you struggle with because when you struggle with something, that means you had a problem and you solved it. And that's what people want. People want to know how to solve a problem. So what are your problems and how, did, how do you solve it? Um, and so that's what I talk about, about leading with your adversity and turning it into your strength. Maybe you could give us an example of how you've done that. This, being here with you because I'm blind, <laughs> maybe. I mean, anything, anything really, honestly, um, tapping into the fact that like, let's say for instance, one of the other, another uh, issue of mine that I have is that I actually deal with anxiety. It's so funny. I'm actually uh, an introvert. So I'm a huge introvert and no one would ever guess that because all I do is talk all the time. In <laughs> fact, people have told me I'm an ambivert. Um, but one of the things that I deal with a lot is anxiety. And so I've been using that instead of hiding behind it and not wanting to talk about it, I've been using that to go on um, platforms like let's say for instance Clubhouse to talk about my issues as somebody with a um, with anxiety issues that has to be in the public eye and deal with it all the time and you know be afraid of saying the wrong thing and and possibly getting backlash and then having to deal with it internally um, 
and spreading that message and, and getting that feedback of other people going, wow, like I thought I was the only one or I'm also in the public eye and I didn't know that I could actually talk to somebody else about this. I didn't recognize that this was an issue other people are having. And so things of that nature, having a problem, trying to solve it and then helping other people with a similar problem or inspiring other people. I, I totally agree with you. I think it's so very important in all the words that we've been using about you. And I think you're, when Becca learned that you had the same disability, how did you feel? Oh my God. Well, I mean, I like two seconds ago when you were just talking, I was honestly getting a little like, I don't know, I was feeling something like in my heart because you said like, you know, I want people to want to be me not want to pity me or help me oh my god like if I had heard that like in high school like that you know from someone who's also kind of riding that line of like low vision blindness who am I where do I fit in what community am I, am I a part of am I allowed to be part of the disability community like what is you know, what yeah. is even happening so when I found out that you also carried a conus it was like I don't know it, it was it was incredibly empowering incredibly exciting also to see a musician have keratoconus because I used to do music in college I still do music huh well you know pandemic times is a little weird but um got it yep I she's a singer I yeah I sing and I play piano and I grew up my whole life playing music and doing music my mom's a music teacher oh wow and so there was my mom was also a choir director don't tell her she really sucked at it though <laughs> she was really bad. Oh no! <laughs> but anyway, sorry. Go on. We won't tell her. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's so like so many little things of me not thinking I could be a musician at all, and even trying to get gigs like in college, um, and having people be like, "Why? Why do you carry around an iPad instead of sheet music?" And I'm like, "So I can enlarge it." And they're like, "Oh, well, like, is that going to be a problem? Like, what do we do?" you know, just not knowing how to even deal with me having an iPad, like to look at my music was just like too much for people trying to hire me for gigs. And so just right. seeing someone very much in the public eye and also a very successful and in my opinion, very good musician also have keratoconus and, and show up every day in the studio and do it your way, which is also my way <laughs> in some parts is really exciting. Firstly, I do have keratoconus, right? And I was actually mm -hmm. very excited when you when you tweeted me that you had keratoconus as well. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, sisters. Um, but I mean, I also do have coloboma, which is also a secondary rare disease that I have with my eyes, which I've had right. since birth. And then I got keratoconus actually um, maybe about seven years ago, six years ago or something like that. And I, uh, and it's been pretty rapid, but so that on top of my coloboma has been crazy. But you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that the accommodations from, from venues, right. Or from places of that nature and how they get squirmish and squeamish and squirmish is not a word squeamish about trying to help and accommodate musicians with disabilities is probably one of the, is, is one of my bullet points that I'm planning on spearheading and working on um, over the next couple of years. Everybody knows my dear friend Galen, 
she doesn't know this yet. She might actually be finding it out from this podcast, but I'm going to be tapping on her to work with me in a major way on getting venues to start um, hunkering down and really accommodating musicians, not just putting ramps in the, in the entrance. I mean, having accessible bathrooms. I mean, having a, a chief... Uh, a, a chief accessibility officer needs to be in every section and every segment of every major venue. We need uh, also rails. We also need lighting. We need seating areas. We need to accommodate because first of all, it's in the ADA and most cities, not even state legislature, I mean city legislature, have their own version of a Disabilities Act. Here in New York, we have uh, our own ADA here in New York City, and people are not following it. This is already the law, folks. So if we come in here and we say, hey, you need to accommodate me in your building, you need to do it. And, and we don't have to have picket signs and picket fences and, and drive up with politicians for you to do it. We can just show up with our guitar and say, you told me three weeks ago I was gonna play at your venue. Now I can't play and my fans can't watch me. And I spent $1,000 promoting my show for my fans to come and watch and I can't even play on your stage. What is that? Are you, um, I know that Yitzhak Perlman who also lives in New York has for many years um, really uh, come out saying that he will not perform on stages that are not accessible. And I know that one of the areas that you're working on beyond what you're talking about now is really um, supporting and getting the voices of disabled musicians to come forward. So it's obvious that the problem of accessibility is one which still is prominent in yes. spite of the fact that the ADA is 30 years old and the New York law is stronger than the ADA. Yes. Um, how do you talk with other disabled musicians? And, and what is your vision of what you want to help create? So the way I speak with other disabled musicians, you know, it's interesting and it's, it's Becca made a good point. Um, there's, it's difficult for folks to get some of this information. So when I speak to a lot of musicians, it turns out that they are not um, informed on their rights or informed, they, they're quick to already assume they can't. And so a lot of the time it's me letting them know that they can. Um, step one in a lot of uh, situations is actually recognizing that you can advocate for yourself and that you should. Um, and it just, it keeps <laughs> unfurling back onto itself because the step before that really is trying to start to find a sense of community because it's hard to advocate for yourself if you can't find a home to go back to if it goes wrong and then you'll be afraid to ever do it again uh, but when you have sort of a place of community then you're no longer as afraid to go out and advocate for yourself not once not twice but every time something bad or negative or you know just awkward happens to you it also allows you to open up teaching moments and then it allows you to turn around and speak to other musicians as well but one of the things that i do want to see because i'm i'm going at this from the side of representation right so i have been teaming up with a lot of folks that deal more with hollywood and and the big screen and television and, and things of that nature and getting more folks in the public eye in that sense, 
Um, but on the music side of things, I'm trying to get more folks into places like the Recording Academy so that they can speak to boards on, on, on a lot of these, uh, that own these venues. A lot of these people that own these venues are in these boards and to be able to get us to stand in front of them and speak to them um, is, 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 one of my, um, is one of my first things that I'm doing. Um, I'm also teaming in with Ben, who you know, my manager, um, working on a huge uh, project backed by the UK, um, researching uh, disclosure specifically and um, ways that uh, we can um, help and aid in disclosure. Because once we start getting people to be loud and proud about their disability, then it's it's just such a game changer. The, the stigma is what the problem is. The stigma was the problem for the LGBT community. And now I wish I was part of it. I'm here watching RuPaul going, oh my God, doing my makeup. This is RuPaul makeup, by the way. This is, I learned this from Drag Race. So I want our community to have that sort of representation where we can just be proud of it. So that's really what I focus on is being, bringing the pride to disability. And one really quick thing, I spoke to a gentleman the other day, I don't remember his name, but he, he, he's, he does a lot with civil rights and disability, so black and disability. And he, uh, he said one of his biggest issues is the word dis. The prefix dis, uh, is what turns him off. But I say to that, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm distinguished. You know, I, I, I don't like to keep my disability discreet. You know, I like to, to spread it around and, and go the distance. There's so many positive words that start with the word dis, and I want disability to be one of them because you can have that ability, but I got disability. I want it to be positive. I want you to want to be part of this movement. And, and so be who you are. And exactly. so, you know, you described yourself earlier as being shy and yeah. being an introvert. A bit. Um, and I, I get that. I'm an extrovert, but. Um, oh, she has, just throws that in. It's like, I'm an extrovert by, you know. <laughs> an extrovert, period. There was no, there's nothing after that. I'm all. a, I'm a faux extrovert. That's what I call it. A faux extrovert. <laughs> but I want to know, because I, I used to sing also, and uh, singing was very emotional for me. Um, and, you know, I've talked to people who sing who don't get emotional, and I don't relate to not getting emotional in certain songs because they really relate to feelings. And I'm wondering, um, in your singing, I guess it's also moving from being shy. And when you're doing music, you've got to be out there. How does your music emotionally motivate you to move forward? You know, to be honest, it actually was during college when music really made me break out of my shell, uh, because I was always good at music. Uh, but I never knew how to contribute to conversations. And when I got into college, I joined Glee Club, I joined other little musical organizations and I soared and I excelled. And then people were giving me positive feedback constantly. So my confidence began to boost very specifically because of music. And I got to share and communicate with other people 
and in a positive way because of my music. So it's always kind of been right from the roots and the beginnings of my music career that my music has boosted my confidence. Now it's just intertwined to the point where I can't even explain why my music uh, boosts my confidence because it was at such a formative situation in my career. And also when I get on stage and I'm singing and just, you know, it's a very physical thing. It, it requires your entire body. It, it requires all of yourself as your whole instrument, even if you're just playing another instrument, but especially with singing, um, your whole body is used and your mind and your soul because you're singing lyrics and you're feeling it. And when you're sharing that whole self, that whole physical self with other people that are receiving it, it is an elation beyond, um, a, a beyond just mere language. And it's, it's that when you tap into that sort of spirituality of it, you can't come back down. And, and there's no greater feeling than that kind of joy, that kind and of- And I love the word spirituality because <laughs> when, when you're really, when the music is consuming you, Yes. Um, and you're wrapped around it and it around you. It's just such an amazingly powerful, creative um, expose, you know? <laughs> um, yes. It, do you personally like a range of music? Like, what do you listen to when you're home? Oh, wow, that's interesting. Uh, so I, well, a lot of these days I am listening to a lot of dance. Uh, and electronic music. Uh, I'm exercising. I have one of those those bicycles here in the apartment, so I'm always on that, watching Netflix and listening to music and getting uh, a knock on the door for my neighbors. But uh, I grew up listening to some of my idols like Eric Badu, Lauren Hill, Alicia Keys, um, things of that nature. Um, just women who were very powerful R&B singers, but were very eclectic and were able to switch genres. Um, that is what I always kind of liked because when I started, I was in a bit of a pop situation and then I didn't feel super comfortable. I didn't feel like it was me. Uh, then I moved on over to a new manager who shoved me into more of a, uh, urban situation, which didn't feel like me either. Um, and it wasn't until I found myself singing electronic music and dance that I, I realized I could just be myself. I didn't have to worry about what I look like. I didn't have to worry about the fact that I wasn't 18 anymore. I didn't have to worry about the fact that I wasn't a skinny little, well, now I'm skinny, but I wasn't skinny at that time. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't have to worry about that. And um, it's funny because it, it, I, didn't, I didn't really focus on my looks as much as I do now, but back when I was trying to work in those other fields, looks was such a huge thing and I was rebelling against it. I was like, no you're just gonna have to like me for my music or else you don't deserve it. Uh, but then when people started liking my music because I was, I was loving it and I was confident and I felt comfortable in the dance space, then I was like, hmm, you know what? I wanna look cute for me. So I started getting cute for myself. And, um, and then this whole persona that I've put together is, is, is here. Hold it, girl. Okay. <laughs> A, I really want everyone to listen to her music and to really use Lachi as an example in whatever your whatever field you are in to reach out to others yes. and to help people feel empowered by who they are and be that lending hand and lending voice. And one of the things that Lachi has been doing is really sharing her life, not only as a musician, 
but as a blind woman, and I know that right now you're going through losing more of your vision and you're going to be doing series. Tell us what you're going to be doing with that. So I have a YouTube series called The Offbeat. It is about a black girl going blind, just trying to stay fab. I will be motivating and educating. And I really encourage people to go on the journey with me. We'll be talking to folks, teaching me what I need to know and what I need to do before I go blind. But we'll also be doing fun bucket list adventures and extravaganzas. I've already hooked up with a ton of influential brands to kick this off. And so I'm really excited to share that journey with folks. Everyone I've shared this with is very excited and it's just gonna be a real blast. So please check me out at youtube.com slash Lachi Music and um, join the train because once we take off, you will always be welcome. <laughs> I wanna thank Becca for coming on screen and having fun with us today. Stevie for being in the background and Lachi, our bold, badass friend. Look yes. forward to continuing to support your work and yeah, to admire and follow your lead. Thank, thank you, you so, so much, much for having Thank you so much for having me. It was definitely an honor hanging with the two of you, the three of you and Judy. Always, always, always a pleasure. Very honored to be here. Thank you. You've been tuning in to The Human Perspective with Judy Human. This week, our guests were Lachi and me, Rebecca Howell. You can find links to Lachi's website and YouTube channel in the episode description and on our website. Be sure to follow Lachi on Instagram at Lachi Music. The intro music for The Human Perspective is Dragon, which is produced and performed by Lachi, Yontero, and Juaren. And the outro music is I Wait by Galen Lee. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to The Human Perspective. And follow Judy on Twitter at Judith Human and on Instagram and Facebook at The Human Perspective. Let's just take a look around.